0: Last week, we attended a hearing in the Daybell-Vallow murder trial. In this hearing, we heard an interesting name mentioned. It was from the defense of Lori. They talked about a Dr. Michael Wellner that they wanted to talk a little more about and perhaps object to being used as an expert witness. A little bit more digging brought some very interesting facts up about Mr. Wellner. In this episode, we share more of what we learned about Dr. Wellner and what we think the prosecution might be using him to help them establish. everybody and welcome to the true crime squad this is katie weaver i'm here with my sister co-host and partner in crime christy brower hello hello hey everybody happy monday (laughs) yes it is monday happy monday squad hope you had Mm -hmm. a good weekend
1: right yeah we're recording this before the super bowl so we don't know who won no also i don't care but whatever i know a lot of people do (laughs)
0: Yeah, we don't uh yeah, we don't. It's interesting. I'm I have a prediction, but maybe I won't say it. I don't know. Do you dare say it? Well, I hate to I hate to bet against my team cuz I really oh. really like Kansas City. I mm-hmm. I love Mahomes. I think he's the coolest guy. But I kind of mm-hmm. think the Eagles want it more. They feel more hungry to me than Kansas City does. But maybe they'll prove me wrong. But that that's how I'm feeling. There you go. <laughs> We'll see yep. tomorrow, won't we? We'll <laughs> see. We'll know. <laughs> <later today>. yeah. <laughs> yep, we'll know. Also, Mahomes has been hurt. and uh, I just mm. don't know. I, I feel like there's some holes there in Kansas City that might be fatal. And the Eagles have been so hot. Ah, we'll see. Well, we will see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, we have, a, I think, a very interesting episode put together for you guys today. We really do. Um, not our typical uh, reporting on a crime, but instead talking about this uh, psych- forensic psychologist that you guys are going to love, Michael Wellner. So mm-hmm. but before that, we, I'm going to tr- kick the mic over to you for our first uh, portion of the show, which is an MMIW. Yes.
1: Sometimes these cases, missing and murdered Indigenous women, hit close to home. And this one has. Yeah. We have um, a 24-year-old woman that was killed on the Fort Hall Reservation on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Uh, The body was discovered um, just before noon. Somebody, she she was found in an outbuilding near a home. There was a woman that just happened to go, um, or a person that went into that outbuilding and happened to find her body. She's been identified as 24-year-old Haley Smith. We don't know very much about what's happening. We do know that her death, however, is actually being investigated by the FBI, Fort Hall Police, and the Bingham County Coroner's Office, which I have to say is quite a bit more cooperation than we have seen in a while. It is. Of these cases in our community. I'm surprised that the FBI is already involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have talked a lot about a woman named Rebecca Plenty Wounds who was murdered in 2018. Mm-hmm. I was going to say 17, somewhere right in there. Somewhere yeah. Like um, Who was found dismembered on the reservation. Her case has never even been deemed a murder so that it could be investigated. So yeah. we've been keeping a close eye on what's happening on... Um, Fort Hall, because it's near us and because we want to bring as much attention to these cases as we possibly can. Yeah. So there is an autopsy pending and there is actual law enforcement action on this yeah. woman's death. I will tell you, I'm not 100 percent sure that she is Indigenous. We don't even know. We know that she died on the reservation. That's what she is.
0: I was able to finally track her down on social media. Yeah. She's indigenous. Okay.
1: And either way, I think any woman that gets killed on a reservation, we need to be really looking into what the hell is going on because we know what's going on, which is really, really bad shit. Yep. So we're going to keep an eye on Haley's case and we will keep you updated. All the love to her family and her friends. And I just have to say that I have at least some gratitude that there is actual law enforcement action happening in her death. Yeah. It's sad to have to say that, but it's true.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So not a lot to share, but a little. And I'm sure, fingers crossed, there will be more. I will tell you that our local news reported on it. A couple years ago, I may have wrote them a scathing email about how they never cover cases yeah. like this on our local reservation and actually tried to collaborate with them to do a story on it, which they did not do. Mm-hmm. However, they're reporting on it. Hmm. Me thinks maybe yeah. speaking up did a little good. So think about that in your own community. If you notice that your local news is not covering these cases, yep, get yep. out for it. That's, get on for it.
0: Your news is going to run stories that they think people are interested in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'll tell you just from our own micro experience here uh, in the podcasting world that our cases about MMIW get significantly less. Watches and listens
1: yeah. than other cases. It's very yeah.
0: disheartening. And so yeah. I, I see why the news doesn't uh, jump to run these stories because people don't actually act like they care. Right. So do care, please. And do tell your news that you care and that you yeah. want to hear these
1: stories and that they need to be told. Well, and news reporting on a case like <laughs> this creates pressure for law enforcement. Yeah. If nobody's talking about it, then nobody knows if law enforcement isn't doing anything. Yep. If the, if the, news media is like, okay, we need updates. What's happening? What's, you know, what are, what are your findings mm-hmm. here? That creates the pressure that we need to keep law enforcement on their toes. Mm-hmm. So this is a good move. I mean, I'm very sad for Haley and her family. Oh yeah. Um, But I am grateful that we're seeing some news on it. Um, The Idaho Statesman also did an article. So I was pretty impressed that we had a local um, newspaper and a local news station do it. Yes. And uh, we will keep you updated absolutely and with that katie i'm gonna kick the mic back to you for our main case okay
0: probably one of the most pressing and controversial questions people have had in the daybell vallow murders is Were this just two horny idiots having a an affair that wanted money that just that that's really what this was Or did these two really believe their prophecies? Did they really believe that they were gods and goddesses and that they were supposed to be restoring the earth and all of that stuff? Did they really believe it? That's They believed the the kids were zombies. Yes. Did they believe the kids were zombies? Uh, Did they really believe that? Or did they use these beliefs as an excuse to commit their crimes? Mm -hmm. And I know you guys have all had very strong opinions about whether you think that's true or that's not true. Mm -hmm. Well, the prosecution wants to answer that question too. Yeah. And they want to answer that question for the jury, and so when we were in court last week, one name was mentioned. There was actually a list of uh, potential witnesses that the defense on Lori's side wanted to argue about,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and basically the prosecution and the judge were like, "We're it's way too soon to even be talking about this," and with this witness might not even be introduced until penalty phase anyway. And like, it's too soon, but only one name was actually brought up. And that name was Michael Wellner. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard that name before, but I made a note and ran to the Google and learned a little bit more about Michael Wellner. Well, let me tell you who he is. Michael Wellner is a forensic psychiatrist. He's the chairman of the forensic panel. He is well-known for work in sensitive and complex litigation. He has led forensic psychiatric examinations of numerous uh, big cases. And he has specialized in cases involving the Mormon church. Because he was the final witness, final expert witness in the Elizabeth Smart Kidnapping, which uh, is really, really interesting. And I'm Mm going to circle back to that. But I want to tell you a few of the other cases that he has been a part of. Of course, Brian David Mitchell, that's the Elizabeth Smart kidnapper. Mm -hmm. Um, His specialty was sect, psychology, and brainwashing. One of his specialties is uh, (laughs) polygamy and cult psychology. Yeah. I won't tell you all of them, but some of them that you might find interesting. Andrea Yates. Mm-hmm. Damon Thibodeau.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: Omar Kadir. That's the specialty of terrorism and war.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He has pioneered research to for courts and juries uh, in order to present to courts and juries to help them to define heinous, depraved, and evil crimes in sentencing determinations. Really interesting stuff. He's done really interesting work. He is also a contributor to ABC. He is involved in their law and justice unit. Uh, He has been on Good Morning America a lot of times and 2020. He's a regular contributor to CNN. Larry King Live, he's been on Fox News, Good Morning America, uh, or Morning in America, The Dr. Oz Show, and other shows. He has written several publications. Like, we're not messing around. This guy is very, very well-respected and well-spoken.
1: Yeah. I, so, I'm super excited about Michael Wellner. I hope we get to hear from him on this case.
0: Me too. So one thing i learned from him is that because of his uh because of his work that uh working with uh brian david mitchell he put out some work about uh this is a paper called new research reveals secrets about psychology of polygamous sex and their leaders and he did a big study on polygamy and the leaders of polygamous sects and how they get their followers and what the psychology of their uh you know they, they are and their psychology or their followers are very interesting work so <laughs> anyway but I wanted to take you into the courtroom for a few minutes into David Michael uh oh lord sorry Mitchell David Brian David Mitchell, Brian Brian David Mitchell's uh, case. So last witness and what we learned from this case was really, really interesting. What we learned from him was really interesting. So his biggest takeaway was that Mitchell was not mentally ill. Interesting. People really wanted to believe that. In fact, he was found and unfit to stand trial for a certain amount of time. Right. Uh he found that he was antisocial and a narcissist, but not suffering from any severe mental defect. Wow. He said he's a pedophile and that has to be front and center. He has no remorse for what he has done to Elizabeth Smart. Wow. Trying to get this guy on trial was an eight-year event because of his supposed mental health issues right. and, and I know you guys that are very familiar with the Dave Bell Vallow case are you know your ears are pricked right now because of what we know about Lori and her stint mm-hmm. in the mental hospital and just all of this stuff that we have seen so far so I wanted to talk a little bit about the transcripts because I want you to just think about how, what this case looks like in relation to Chad and Lori
1: mm-hmm.
0: so The first part of the sentencing, or or of the, uh, sorry, of the testimony, I'm not going to go completely through. It's kind of boring. Just talking about his professional uh, qualifications, uh, of which there are many. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: This question from the prosecutor, though, her name was uh, Prosecutor Hagen. She asked, how many people charged with major crimes have you evaluated? He said, several hundred at this point. Prosecutor Hagen asks, how many in relation to legal insanity And he indicates 40 to 50, probably closer to 40. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting of several hundred criminals. He's evaluated only 40 to 50. Did he find actually legally insane?
1: It's because it's actually real rare. Yeah. Most of the time, even if you are mentally ill, you're not so insane that you can't be held accountable.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, The prosecutor asked if that's standard and he said, yes. Yeah. So let me scroll down a little bit here. The The transcripts are very long, but I think that uh, some of them are really worthwhile. Okay. He's paid hourly. At this time, and this was in uh, 2009, he was charging $550 per hour. He charges the U.S. government 425 because because... Uh, you know, because it's the government, they have a- He gives them a discount? (laughs) Yeah, he gives them a discounted rate, yeah. So, he also said that his office turns down most of the cases that come in because they just can't take them all. He said, we take complex and highly sensitive cases. So, if he's signed on to uh, be an expert witness in this case, he chose this case, basically. Because he did not do them all.
1: I don't know that they have that yet. From what the prosecution said is that they Mm -hmm. intend to have someone Mm -hmm. to discuss hyper-religiosity.
0: Yes. It would
1: be premature to say who.
0: Yes. Hyper-religiosity and uh, whether or not someone commits a crime uh, and just blames it on religion to to justify the crime.
1: Right. Versus they actually believe it.
0: Yeah. Pretty interesting. So he was brought in on this case in 2008, and he started working on it, he said, in a very uh, limited manner at that time. At that time, he said he had put in 1,600 hours of work on this case, 1,600 hours of work. It's estimated that he billed over $600,000 for his work and testimony on that case.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Imagine what that looks like for Fremont County, Madison County.
1: And of course, because well, yeah, we're talking about two defendants here. And if Dr.
0: Wellner ends up not testifying, someone else will. And this is the kind of work they will be have, have done. So that's why I right. think it's 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 really important to it's an, interesting to hear about it a little bit. Well, and it makes
1: sense to look at Wellner. I mean, he has a lot of experience with their background. Obviously, not polygamy, but, you know, Mormonism in general. Mormonism,
0: yes. So I want to read a little bit of the beginning of their uh, conversation. Uh, Prosecutor Hagen, what is your professional opinion on Mitchell having a severe mental defect? Wellner, it is my professional opinion he did not. Hagen, how do you go about determining that? Wellner says, there is no question, if there's no question of financial issues, You do what you can to track email and IM and Facebook. You track evidence, as evidence dictates, and then you search by necessity. One myth about evidence is that it is there like low-hanging fruit. You don't learn that until you actively search. Hagen said, has the jury heard from the people you talk to? He said, the jury has heard from a number of those witnesses. She said, how did you start investigating? And he said, I started by reading police reports. I picked up the book of Emmanuel David Isaiah. That's the book that this guy wrote, mm-hmm. that the, the defendant wrote. Right. And I said, stop. No, I had to stop. Hagen said, why was that? Wellner, I had a nagging feeling. I didn't feel I would have the qualification to go forward on the case until I learned more about the Mormon culture and Joseph Smith and how it relates to Mormon theology, because I couldn't define the boundary of faith and not faith. Mm -hmm. Included Mm -hmm. in that, I needed to have a better understanding of polygamy and the history of it and what happened to it. It also became clear to me that I needed to have an understanding of schismatic fundamentalist polygamist beliefs, because that became the terrain of this case. So he stopped everything he was doing right there and did a deep dive into Mormonism and polygamy. And that that's actually resulted in a bunch of big body of work from him mm-hmm. because of those things. But he knew that he was going to have to really understand where this guy's head could have been before he really went forward, which I just I found interesting. Um uh, Hagen asked, did you feel you had an accurate and complete picture of the defendant himself? Wellner said, oh no, but to be fair to the defendant, I wouldn't have known initially either. Your objective over the course of evaluating is to diminish the gray and find as much clarity as possible. It would be my professional Sherpa to defining this case. Uh, She asked, did you identify additional sources of documentation? And he indicated that he did now this i think is very interesting she said did you contact a number of sources yourself we're talking about the psychiatrist right Mm -hmm. he says yes she said is that typical and wellner said i do it all the time third party interviews is what distinguishes clinical psychiatry from forensic psychiatry Mm -hmm. it puts a requirement that you have a good feeling on the rest of the story as paul harvey would say you think you have the whole story and you pause. <laughs> the defense objected to hearsay because he quoted Paul Harvey. <laughs> the judge that was, that was dumb. Yeah, the judge overruled. Uh, so now listen to some of this data. She asked how many police investigative reports he in, reviewed in this case. He mm-hmm. said 20. How many interview transcripts and videotapes six personal papers of the accused and Ms. Barzi. 12 how did you treat those sources he said as scripture scripture that was designed to be spiritual and self-affirming their papers Mm -hmm. uh she said did you take those at face value and he said i did not she said if they were taken at face value could that compromise the investigation and wellner said oh absolutely my point being that as i have read scriptures i have come to appreciate and they have been written to be an homage to god it shapes that position in certain instances it may be deserved if you fall down the rabbit hole of relying on scripture for reality you have been led astray and you don't know where (laughs) hear that again If you fall down the rabbit hole of relying on scripture for reality, you have been led astray and you don't know where. Yeah. Chad and Lori, anybody? Yeah. Uh, She asked if he read reports from other examiners. He did 17 of them. Uh, He read their records to marriage and family relations, really studied their family trees. Uh, His criminal records, of course, uh, the court documents. When he read through the Utah State Hospital chart, he identified workers that he wanted to speak to, and he interviewed a whole bunch of them. And not just the doctor. He interviewed uh, anyone who would have had contact with him Mm -hmm. to get their take. He said that it's important to fill in the gaps of the story by talking to everyone who may have had any connection to it which I sure. thought was pretty fascinating. His work, I think, is really fasc- fascinating. Well, yeah, because he doesn't
1: just go with the professional's opinion. Right. he, goes he is a professional. Either. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. That's unusual. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, really interesting. Uh, he reviewed 18 post-arrest records, thirteen or three records related to Wanda Barzee, four media transcripts. He also interviewed... Elizabeth Smart and they asked why he interviewed Elizabeth and he said he spent five hours with Elizabeth and it was the most enlightening interview that he did because Elizabeth had all a whole glimpse of the defendant when he was at his most uh, vulnerable you know just in day-to-day life just trying to live trying to eat trying to survive uh, when he maybe wasn't trying to be the prophet you know the, the thing but just a human trying to survive. And mm-hmm. he said that was definitely the most enlightening part of any of his interviews, is what he learned from Elizabeth. Wow. Did you also know that in order to testify in that trial, she had to come home from her mission for a little while? No, I she didn't. was in Paris serving a mission for the LDS Church when they finally went that. to trial. I didn't wow. either. Was really surprised to hear that, actually. Yeah. So at any rate, he interviewed 58 people. One of which was Brian David Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And that is freaking fascinating. So if you guys remember this case at all, every day when court would start, Mitchell would start blaring hymns. Singing hymns at the top of his lungs until he'd have to be removed from the courtroom. Every day. And this day was no different. Well, when he went to interview Mitchell and sat down with him, he immediately just started blasting out hymns blaring over him just singing away Mm -hmm. and he said okay he said that's fine he's like I'm here to work so I guess uh, if you're gonna sing I'm gonna work so he just pulled his laptop out and sat uh, basically in silence he said pretty soon he finally got silent but sat in silence with him for a long time until uh and, but any time he would try and bring up a question or something for him, he would either turn his back to him or dip his head down and refuse to look at him or start singing again. And mm. so it was going nowhere. They sat in that kind of a space for more than three hours. Wow. Sorry, dog's barking. I think the pizza just got here. for The <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> anyway, I... Uh, So what he decided to do is to pull up his videotape of his interview with Elizabeth. He said frequently a part of his process is to show various people what Mm -hmm. somebody else said to see what they do with it. Mm -hmm. And he said the singing was gone. I'll bet. No more singing. He watched it. Um, Sometimes he would try to act like he wasn't listening or wasn't watching, but mostly he watched. He said he never spoke. But the one thing that he did is that he leaned in towards the TV and had the markers of someone who is aroused when Elizabeth was on the screen. Gross. Jesus Christ. And he said that really was all he really needed to know. Mm -hmm. You know, but he said that really, you know, Mitchell left that interview thinking that he, uh, you know. He did an awesome job because uh, he, beat he didn't guy say guy. anything. Yep, but he said he didn't need to say anything. He showed it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Really, really interesting. So, and they did show in court a, a long videotape of of that uh, interaction. So, he also talked to two other forensic psychologists and asked for their uh, professional take on his case and what he, uh, you know, what he was. Learning and mm-hmm. took some some input from both of them, which I also thought was really interesting. He is really lacking in ego. I would say he has charisma and he has confidence, but he's really lacking in ego, which I think is really important and uh, unusual able, and unusual. psycho interest, yeah, but really important to be able to do this work, uh, you know, successfully. Yeah. So then they talked about the uh, his false beliefs. The other doctors believed that he was delusional, uh, but they did not believe that he suffered from severe mental illness. Mm-hmm. When the prosecutor asked were his ideas fixed, meaning were they set in stone, mm-hmm. he said, no, they weren't. So his ideas did change with the weather, did change with what was happening around him, which is a really important thing to be able to prove because yeah. that means that uh, today I say the sky is blue, but maybe tomorrow I'm going to say the sky is gray. It's not always the same.
1: No, which means that you aren't just acting out of straight blind belief. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Wow. Yep.
0: Yep. Interesting. Uh, Of course, it goes on and on and on. And and they talk quite a bit about uh, religious belief, about Mormon religious belief. I thought this little piece was really interesting. Dr. Or Prosecutor Hagen said, on top of the question of whether his beliefs were fixed or false now the jury has understood the role of the dsm that's the diagnostic tools and diagnosis for the conclusion are there any other published research that has dealt with how to find out if someone is having delusion related to religion Mm -hmm. delusion related to religion Mm -hmm. and here's what Wellner says there is no public medical record at all where you can look at beliefs native to the LDS and determinations a psychiatrist can make about whether it is delusional or not. That does not exist for the fundamentalist LDS communities. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. There's no diagnostic tool. And, and actually, it sounds like in, in religion in general, for the most part, that religion gets a pass. So you could have the craziest religious beliefs on the planet and we still... There's some space in our medical communities and our society to respect those because it's religious. Right. And to me. And that's that's really just a conscious
1: choice that's been made in mental health. Yeah. Not so much a. A truth. Yeah. A truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Which to me, I thought was very interesting because certainly we've seen Lori and Chad exploit their belief and expand upon their belief. Yeah. A lot. also, their beliefs were definitely not fixed because mm. they violated their own religion over and over again. They sure did. Uh, I think I'll stop there with this uh, transcript, but I just thought all of that was really interesting so and interesting. really interesting to kind of understanding where could this go with Lori and with Chad. So say Dr. Weller is, does end up uh, you know, advising on this case. He's going to interview Lori and Chad, clearly.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but he will likely interview many other people he could interview people at the jail that they've had contact with Mm -hmm. he could interview family members he could interview friends he could interview church leaders there's a lot of places he could go yep the yeah how the employees at the state hospital there's a lot of different ways this could go he could interview the other doctors that have already uh done assessments on Lori and maybe on Chad because it sounds like maybe that's happened. Uh, there's something happening with Chad's mental health stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then potentially he could get on the stand and tell us whether he believes that either of them were delusional, either of them were, are truly mm-hmm. mentally ill, if either of them were using religion as a crutch to be able to commit their crimes or whether they actually fully believed what they were saying and what they were doing. Yeah. and again i know you all have opinions about that and i'm sure you'll tell us and that's fine have an opinion absolutely this is a this case is so complex
1: and yeah, such a is. rabbit
0: hole there's so many things to consider and it you know it's, it has changed all of our minds a few times i think throughout the course of it too just different uh behaviors and things that we've learned and dr weller will definitely be one of those if we see him on the stand so there you have it that that's dr weller very interesting stuff isn't it, isn't it wellner Wellner, yeah, sorry. Yep.
1: Very interesting. Wow. Thank you for that. That yeah, and to see it compared to see what he did in the Elizabeth Smart case and to look at the similarities, we did a comparison. We did between Brian David Mitchell and and, and Chad. Yeah. And Chad. Yeah. And um already, you know, cuz yeah. we, we see it, you know, we and mm-hmm. we would see it more probably than other people just because we are ex-Mormons ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, that is, um, that's powerful. That's, this trial is going to be something, I'll tell you. That is
0: fascinating stuff. But here's the thing. I can't imagine that they are, they have to have already brought Dr. Wellner on. This is supposed to go to trial in April. He spent 18 months preparing for right. this last one. 18 months. He did 1,600 hours of work on it. There's no way if they have brought him on as an expert witness that he's not already deep into his discovery here. There's that's no that's a way. good point. That's a really good point. But don't I don't know why he wouldn't take this case. It seems right in his wheelhouse.
1: Uh, yeah, it really does. So And it is very complex and he obviously likes the complex stuff. And if mm-hmm. he's already done all this Mormon work, this case would be easier for him probably than Elizabeth Smart.
0: Uh-huh. And probably just makes him a little more of a credible uh witness because he already has such a good background in these I'm cases. I'm sure it's why so, they went to
1: him to begin with. Surely.
0: Yeah. Yep, so there you go. Well, with that, Christy, I'm gonna wow. kick the mic back over to you for our last segment. And I believe it's an MMIW No, it's no, a it's WTF. a WTF.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let me just paint a a little picture for you. This could have been a Florida man. This could have been a lot of things. But let's just just picture this. And I'll show you a picture in a minute. But a woman in Covington, Louisiana, who was, well, she was a Florida woman. Um, But I think this happened in Louisiana. She was arrested because she was carrying a blowtorch, which, oh, uh,
0: yeah. A lit? A
1: lit blowtorch? Yeah, yeah. He was just blowtorching. Okay. ...into a <laughs> pursuit on the highway with law enforcement with her blowtorch while driving this bus. Now, it says sex trafficking <sighs> awareness. Oh, assignment. gosh. Okay which I mean, I am appreciative of because we definitely need more awareness around sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. This happened on February 7th, and this was at about six o'clock in the morning. She went into a gas station. Her name is Natalie. I'm not going to give her whole name because I'm not sure that this is a stable person. She went into a gas station wielding a blowtorch, and said she was looking for the local Department of Children and Family Services office. Oh, dear God. Okay. Tell me where they are, Um, I guess. <gasps> I know. So, of course, the employees of the gas station, uh, they call the police because they're like... Weird. Yeah, like you do. Okay. Hell? So, they said, um, you know, there's this woman, she has a blowtorch, and she's driving a school bus that says sex trafficking awareness, and she's just threatened us, and, you know. So, they find the bus. You mean they don't on- like Blowtorches being brought right into their business like that, eh? No. As a matter of fact, they, they don't. Um they found her on Highway 190 near a Walmart and they engaged mm-hmm. in pursuit. <laughs> oh. Which can you imagine the visual on that? Um mm-hmm. so the bus, she crashes the bus into a fence at Saint Scholastica Academy. Oh no. Unfortunately, she's near a school with her blowtorch. and
0: but her the police. Crazy bus. Okay.
1: Yeah. But the police did take her into custody there. There was really no damage to anybody and there were no injuries. Thank Uh heavens. Good. Um, Apparently, they think she was living at a state park and has been living in the bus. Uh huh. And there was a man who was living with her and he had been arrested recently on domestic violence charges. So she was just kind of out in the world on her own, just her and her blowtorch. Oh, gosh, trying to carry out some kind of mission i guess yeah so So, they charged her with flight from an officer hit and run simple criminal damage to property reckless operation of a motor vehicle aggravated obstruction of highway commerce terrorizing and carrying a firearm or dangerous weapon near students
0: oh gosh
1: yeah so i think
0: she was trying to like torch the department of family services Right. What's oh, the no? Connection? There's a big school of thought right now that uh, in uh, certain circles, that the DCFS uh, is just a big uh, child sex trafficking ring. Right.
1: Which, no, that you know, we
0: don't believe that. We're just sharing that. No, and, that is a conspiracy theory. that's alive every and child
1: and family protection program is a state-run organization. They are yeah. not linked to each other. Each no. state is a separate organization. So. I mean, I, do I think some of those things happen in the foster care programs? Yeah. But is it a national conspiracy? No, because there is no conspiracy. They don't, mm-hmm. I, I will tell you from my own experience that these agencies work terribly together between states. Rarely is it a good thing. So nope. they're, they're not. Yeah,
0: well, We've seen that a few times with kids that just kind of got lost in the system from one state to another and yes.
1: disappeared yeah absolutely um so hopefully natalie gets the help that she needs um i hope they confiscated the blowtorch it was a little wild let's just say
0: but does it also make you wonder if it's possible that that particular agency had maybe at some point taken her children or maybe she had history with them specifically
1: i do wonder
0: I'm really glad she didn't make it to them with the blowtorch because that really worries me about what she was thinking about doing.
1: Yes, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a concern. Mm -hmm. Um, But clearly a person who has not been safe. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, hopefully they'll be able to get her some safety and hope maybe keep her away from the abusive guy, too. I don't know. But. For sure. Wow, that's interesting. (laughs)
0: Really interesting. Well, we're we're seeing more and more of people who have bought into dangerous theories, conspiracy theories. Uh, yes, you know, creating violence or trying to create violence on various uh, like government entities and, and other innocents that uh, you know, right. Even know what they're talking about. Uh, people shooting at hospitals and you know, various things. And they believe. Yeah. Vulnerable yeah. people. Just vulnerable people. Most definitely. Ah, interesting. All right. Well, there you have it. I, I told you this episode would be interesting. It just got mm-hmm. more interesting than I even knew. So Yes. Yes, it did. Well, thank you. Well, this is Monday. So we'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new case. Mm-hmm. We'll, or episode. We'll be back Wednesday with a brand new episode. And then let's see. Is it? Uh... Yeah, it would be. I believe it is, uh, is it? the Cold Read Party this week.
1: Oh, yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, this, this month is uh, the way the days fall is a little. Uh, oh, yes. Everything's the happening. It's first
1: soon. Wednesday. So, yeah, it yeah. would
0: be. Yeah. So, the cold read party will happen right after uh, the live stream, Case Updates live stream on Wednesday night. So, yeah, yeah. lots of big content to come this week. Lots of good mm-hmm. stuff. If you missed it, we did do a live stream on Thursday about our experiences in Daybell Vallow Court. Yes. And so, if you haven't seen that, run back and find it. Uh, some pretty interesting things happen. It was you know, like day. Dr. Wellner, but other yes. things too. So yeah, go check it out. Alrighty. Well, as always, like, share, follow, do the thing. We appreciate you guys very much. Go do something good for yourselves. You sure enough deserve it and have a good day. This has been and yet another production of the True Crime
1: Squad. Go sports ball. <laughs>